This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. everybody welcome to another episode of the inspiration project the uh, podcast where you get to hear the stories of of successful and influential christians who've navigated their way into a, a world of of uh, professional activity uh, with their faith and this morning we are talking to andrew farley andrew is uh, an american great to have somebody uh, from other shores that we're talking to today andrew is a well-known speaker and author best known for his book the Naked Gospel. He also serves as the lead pastor of the church called Church Without Religion and is Associate Professor of Applied Linguistics at Texas Tech University. Andrew, it's fantastic to welcome you to our podcast hey. today. Well, it's thank you. Here. Great to be with you. Yeah. You sound like you have a busy life ahead of you, being lead pastor, associate professor, uh, author, speaker. Well, actually, a couple of years ago, I resigned from academia so I could no go problem. into full, full-time ministry. So, uh, yeah, Wikipedia is a little bit behind little bit the behind. times there. We might but, um, do an edit. They'll do a live edit on uh, Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I do a radio program every night on Sirius XM, and I pastor a church, and I write books, and uh, then I'm a dad and a husband, and... Uh, I've got a well-rounded life. It so does sound great. like it. All those sorts of different hats that, that you're involved yeah. in. Now, yeah. I'm going to get just a little bit of personal interest out of the way early in, in our conversation. Sure. Lubbock, Texas. Yeah. Famous center of uh, American history, especially American music history. Yes. You know where I'm heading here, Andrew, right? Yes. Buddy Holly, home Buddy of Holly. Buddy Holly. The one yeah, it doesn't, only. Get, doesn't get any better than that. And, uh, you know, you go to the Buddy Holly Museum here, and that's probably the best that Lubbock, Texas has to offer right there. <laughs> oh, other than uh, Church Without Religion, which I'm sure. Well, would, that's would, right. Of course. Would, so, so are you a fan of early U.S. I mean, rock and roll? I, I, I w- oh, early rock and roll, definitely. I love the Beatles. I love, um, I love a lot of the uh, people that were influenced by Buddy Holly, but... Honestly, I couldn't. I couldn't name a Buddy Holly song if I tried. I would so, have thought that was part of your, your citizenship of the state that you would have to own some of that. I'm counting on you not to tell anybody. <laughs> All right, so between you and I, no problem. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I do actually love Buddy Holly music, so I'll share some with you sometime and induct cool. you into the beauties of of that uh, very simple sort of music. Yeah. So tell us, um, Texas is at least in Australia has this reputation for being the the state that is the biggest and the best and the grandest and the, you know everything is better in Texas. Yeah, is that the lived experience, Andrew? For it, it, yeah, and I gotta say it really is. Like it doesn't disappoint in that regard. There's a a lot of state pride. There's um, uh, you know even the vehicles, the vehicles that are on the road are <laughs> are large and in charge. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a state where there's a lot of amazing food and there's a lot of variety in the landscape. I mean, everybody thinks it's uh, it's like a Clint Eastwood cowboy movie or something. And, and that's true of certain parts of Texas. But 
with the lakes and the rolling hills and the ocean. I mean, there's a lot of variety. And uh, man, I, I love Texas. I grew up in Virginia, uh, but I really, really love Texas. And I identify now as a, a Texan for sure. A, a through and through Texan and, and, and quite diverse economy, doesn't it? You've got the oil that's in Texas, but you've also got some high tech stuff. Yeah, yeah. Austin is really a center for a lot of high tech. And you've got some great universities, both public and private. You've got um, University of Texas at Austin, which is well known. And then in Houston, you've got Rice University, which is a top ranked private school. There's a lot of uh, mm. a lot of great things in Texas. Yeah. And I think the whole world recognizes Houston for the, uh, the classic uh, communication with NASA, right? Yes. Houston, yes. We've got a problem in the space center. Yes. That's right. Andrew, that's it's it's nice to hear that um, with all of that activity in your life, there's there's still that uh, humanity that you bring to it. Mm-hmm. I, I guess one of the things that, uh, as I was thinking of of uh, conversation that might unfold between us, I was intrigued by the what seems to be the thrust of some of your writings and even the name of your church. Yes. That are very confronting and seem at first glance perhaps to be oxymoronic, that there's, there's, would make a real contrast for people. Yeah, yeah. God without religion, the naked yeah. gospel, church without religion. Can you tell me a bit about what is it you're trying to communicate with those yeah. labels? What's the essence of sure. the story? Yeah. So, you know, I grew up in a Christian school and um, by the time I was 19 years old, I was on the floor of my apartment and I was begging God for answers. I was saying, you know, God, I'm doing everything they told me to do in church and school and the Christian communities. I'm sharing my faith with everybody that I meet Mm. and I'm in church every time the doors are open and I'm literally I'm reading my Bible four and five hours a day. And yet I still don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I'm close to you. Like, where did I go, go wrong? And, um, you know, at 19 years old, I was asking God to show me where I'd gone wrong. And it was really the message of grace that rescued me, um, understanding God's grace, understanding my identity in Christ, understanding a, a, a fuller, getting a fuller grasp on the gospel. So, uh, you know, God without religion means can you have God without the legalism of rules and and church without religion means, you know, can you have church without uh, some sort of legalistic uh, behavior improvement program? Can it really be about Jesus? And so that's what I'm writing about. I'm writing about Jesus plus nothing, um, 100% natural, no additives. That's our motto. And uh, so I, I love to write about the gospel, about the grace of God, about forgiveness and, and, and identity in Christ. Let me push you on some of that. That's a fantastic uh, vision that you've caught, a fantastic truth that God has given in your heart. But yeah. it, it's, a, it's a bit of an unusual one because often people would think grace is the thing that is understood by the person that ended up homeless and, and addicted and gambling problems and destitute and grace needs to reach out and and take hold of that life and trans yeah. you, you're telling me i think that your story was completely the opposite you were doing all the right things living a life right. that was commendable right and yet for you grace was still the answer 
Yeah. Can you talk with yeah. me about that? Sure. Yeah. So like I didn't have any problem with drinking or drugs or sex. I lived this clean life. And in fact, uh, back then there were a lot of, you know, friends who would have said, wow, look at that guy. He's so busy for God. Mm. Uh, I was on, I was on the streets of Greece and Italy, uh, doing evangelism. I was in halfway houses and jails and prisons. Uh, I was uh, talking to people about Christ on airliners and hotel ballrooms. I mean, I was like on fire and literally addicted to uh, evangelism because I mm. thought it would it would get me uh, closer to God and get me in better standing. So I guess you could say, look, you you were describing um, someone who has more obvious flesh patterns, like. Mm. Um, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, the things that are listed in the Bible as deeds of the flesh. But what I was struggling with was more like uh, Paul's version of the flesh. Yeah. Uh, Paul, Paul had this zeal and he was very religious and he was found blameless by his contemporaries. So I guess what I had to learn was that um, whether you've got good looking flesh or bad looking flesh, it really doesn't matter. That's it's still it's still the spirit of God that needs to motivate what we're doing. Yeah, that, that's a lovely description. Good looking flesh or bad looking flesh. I, I completely get where you're going with that. that yeah. That's awesome. So the the, the idea I, I don't want to push too hard on this, Andrew, but did would you have said you were a Christian during that phase? Would were you Oh saved? yeah. Yeah, I was definitely saved. Uh, no question. I mean, at eight years old, I received Christ and I had security of salvation and I knew I knew Jesus as my savior, but, you know, it was almost like this. It was grace for salvation. And then it was works for everything else. Yeah. So it was, it was like, yeah, yeah. It was like two methods. It was, it was grace to start with. And then now watch, watch me, God, watch what I'm going to do for you kind of mm -hmm. attitude. And, and I, I really um, failed to see that it was supposed to be grace from start to finish. So you started by saying 19, you have this, this um, crisis, I suppose, in, in yeah. your understanding, a crisis of your spirituality. Was it a blinding flash of revelation that happened to you or was there a growing in your understanding of this, this essential doctrine of grace? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a lightning bolt out of heaven. It wasn't sky riding in the sky. It was more like, 10 years of replacing old thoughts with new thoughts. And um, at the center of that was the new covenant. I don't want to get too theological on everybody, but I mean, I had never heard the term new covenant. And mm -hmm. if I had heard it, I thought it was just the church down the street, yeah, yeah. you know, new, new covenant Bible chapel or whatever. But, um, you know, I discovered that we Christians live under a new covenant and we don't live under the law. We live under grace. And so when I started to see the difference between the Old Testament law and the New Testament grace, um, it really helped me. I mean, I started drawing a line in the sand going, all right, how forgiven am I? If I live on this side of the cross and Jesus took away my sins and he says he remembers my sins no more, how real is that? Is that real? Am I totally forgiven? Is there any conditions to it? What if I sin really bad? What if I sin a ton of times? What if I keep struggling with the same thing mm. over and over? And I had to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? I'm going to agree with Jesus that it is finished. And I started to see new covenant forgiveness and how big it was. 
and new covenant grace and how big it was. And I think that um, that's really over a 10 year period. That's what revolutionized my life. That's fantastic, Andrew. Can, can I ask, were there, were there people that you were going to with questions that were influencing you? Were there writers or mentors or? Sure. Yeah, like there, there were. I mean, um, at 19 years old, I was, um, you know, I had to take a, a semester off from university and go home and get help. I sought counseling. I didn't even feel like I could finish school because I was so addicted to street evangelism that I couldn't focus. It was, it was like a drug, but it was a religious drug. And mm. So I went home and in the process got great counseling from people. Uh, some of them have passed away. Some of them are still around, but some good Christian counselors in Virginia. But I would say as far as books and uh, influences in my life, you know, there was a, a book called Lifetime Guarantee that was written by Bill Gillum. And that was super uh, helpful to me. Uh, you know, What's So Amazing About Grace was a good yeah. book. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, there were some others, there were some classic authors, uh, Andrew Murray, uh, being one of them. And, um, uh, anyway, you know, there's probably 10 or 15 different authors, but for me, I gotta say for me, the number one thing was reading and you won't believe this, but reading the book of Hebrews, uh, in the middle of the book of Hebrews, right around chapters six to 10, there's this beautiful unfolding of what the new covenant is. And um, I started to see, okay, wait a minute. It's not about uh, tablets of stone. Yes. He's, writ- he's written his desires on my heart. Um, it's not about progressive forgiveness little by little. It's, it's once for all forgiveness. And I, I started to see, I mean, Hebrews 8 says, the new covenant is not like the old covenant. Uh, he says they did not remain faithful. So, you know, I was worried about faithfulness, but faithfulness is an old covenant problem and it's actually solved in the new covenant. So what I mean by that is, you know, in the old covenant, Israel promised God, we will do everything written in the law. But in the new covenant, it's a promise between God and God. Yes. And I'd never heard that before. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, God could swear by no one greater. So he swore by himself. Um, and by these two unchangeable things, it says, yeah. we have this hope as an anchor. So God on one side, God on the other, uh, securing us forever. To me, that's probably the most exciting part about the new covenant is just that it's God's promise to himself. And so it's, you know, people will ask, what if I commit a big sin? What if I commit many sins? What if I, what if I, what if I, and we're always asking, what if I, and then we're putting ourselves in the equation instead of letting it be God and God that secure mm. us forever. So I love that. That is so awesome. Yeah. And you've, you've explained that so absolutely beautifully. Why, why the deity of Christ is so important so that he could yes. be the other half of the covenant making. Yes. When he said, this is the new covenant that I make in my blood. Yes. Speaking as the eternal God and as the fulfiller of the faithfulness. That, that's beautiful. Yeah. And the idea that even our unfaithfulness is forgiven by, yes. by the word. Yeah. The, the new Testament says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Yes. And then it says, because he cannot deny himself. And you say, well, wait, why, what does that have to do with anything? Well, he cannot deny himself and he lives in us. Amen. So he doesn't deny us. And I, I love that. Yeah. That is so fantastic. 
Well, let me push you a little further in this notion of how you unpack this idea. I, I yeah. get the, the central thought that, that it all pins on. Mm-hmm. The notion of religion with uh, God without religion mm-hmm. and the whole concept of what you think, what you're describing religion as being and not being. Yeah. The, again, most people I think would say the rules of religion relate more to church traditions and liturgies and that type of church life. Mm-hmm. Your, I think in your comparison of good flesh, good looking flesh, bad looking flesh, sort of equating what would be a modern Protestant Christian life as not being that dissimilar to the formal liturgies of the ancient traditions? Yeah. So I guess, you know, we need to define religion because, I mean, you can go to the Bible and you can find a a verse that says that here's true religion, visiting Mm -hmm. orphans and widows, taking care of people. So there is a a religion that the Bible speaks of uh, a couple of times, but the reality is, you know, on, on, in my book, God Without Religion, I, I define how I'm using religion. And I would say that it is any system of rules where I think I'm going to uh, progressively arrive at a good status with God and then maintain that status through those rules. A recent Barna survey said that 81% of Christians think that uh, Christianity is primarily about obeying the rules written in mm. the Bible. Yeah. And it just tells you how rule-based we, we think we really are. And actually what sets Christianity apart I mean, the Apostle Paul actually bashes rule keeping Mm. in Colossians 2. He says, Mm. uh, you know, these rules do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. They have the appearance of wisdom, Mm. but they lack any value in restraining sin. Mm. And I I think that's amazing to consider that, you know, the Christian life is not really about rules. It's about letting Christ rule. And there's a big difference there. And that is huge. That is huge. And and that whole idea, isn't it? That sin is not the things we do, but it's the attitudes and inclinations that prompt those things that we do. Yes. And whether we actually carry those things out or we don't, or we replace them with others, we're still subject to that nature that needs regeneration, needs forgiveness. So, so you've got good looking sin, you got bad looking sin, you could give a million dollars to charity and it could be sin. Yeah. Uh, because again, it's all about your motivation and inspiration or, yeah. and what's driving you. So yeah, the Bible talks about walking after the flesh or walking after the spirit. Yeah. And so the same activity could be either one. Yeah. And we need to see that because then I go, all right, my goal is not just good looking stuff. Yeah. My goal is dependency on the indwelling Christ. That's good. That's good. Earlier, you made a comment about, well, I, th- I think I remember hearing you say that Christianity is not about self-improvement. It's not a, yeah. you know, off-the-shelf pop psychology, this is how we can live a better life or become a better person. Right. Yet you're talking about growth and and development. Yeah. Can you, can you unpack yeah, that right. or contrast those two things a bit? Yeah. And I also want to bring in something that you mentioned. I want to bring nature into this because it does relate. So let's, let's take, um, you know, let's take a human being. We, we grow physically uh, and we learn mentally, but we don't become more human 
Mm. Uh, we're, we're simply humans that grow up from being a baby to being a teenager to being an adult. And so our nature doesn't change during that time, but we do gain more knowledge and more understanding and more maturity. Uh, you look in nature, you look at a, um, a sapling, a tree that's uh, very young, a few weeks old. I mean, it's only a few inches tall, perhaps, and then it grows into this great oak tree. Well, it doesn't become any more oaky. Uh, it's mm. not oakier. It's not uh, more oaky by nature, yeah. Yeah. but it does grow and mature. So the same thing with children of God. Uh, mm. You know, the scripture says our old self died and we became a new creation uh, and at the same time, it says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I think we put those two together and we say, look, even Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, uh, but he didn't become more Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so there's nothing about our growth or maturity that makes us um, have better standing or it doesn't make us more of a child of God. It doesn't make us closer into the family. I mean, we're in. And I think it's really important just to know that when you're in, you're in. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Yes. And there's there's no halfway. So, yeah, let's embrace growth and let's embrace learning and uh, growing in knowledge and, and growing in grace. But those things are a renewing of our mind. They're not really a cleaning of our nature, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, if the Lord came back right now, you're heaven ready. I mean, you're going to get a new body, but he's not going to give you a new personality. He likes you. He's not going to give you a new spirit. He already gave you one. Yeah. So it's only your body that gets replaced in heaven. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is there's something about you mm. that is fully acceptable, fully mm. loved, fully liked. And, um, and so you grow and yet you're a hundred percent righteous yeah. the whole time. That's good. That's good. I, I really appreciating the way you're drawing that distinction of our, our inherent new nature, your yeah. new, new creatures in Christ at yes. that moment of salvation. But the notion of grace doesn't just leave us. Doesn't just, uh, uh, that's the end point. Yeah. Once we're in, there is, growth to happen there is maturing oh yeah lots but lots. it doesn't change the nature of the the fundamental new creature it's yes yeah so so we we leave lots of room for growth because i mean look you know paul called the corinthians uh babes in christ or infants i mean they had some fleshly thinking and he called them out on it and i mean they were practically having drunken orgies at the lord's supper it was a mockery of the whole thing passed out, drunk, uh, gluttony, eating up all the food. Uh, there was sexual uh, promiscuity going on in Corinth. I mean, those guys were an absolute mess. And yet he opens the letter to the saints in Corinth. Amen. That's how he addresses them. And, you know, even this guy who was disciplined and asked to leave the congregation because he didn't respect uh, anything that they were saying. And so it says, you know, his flesh will be destroyed, but his spirit will be saved. Mm. And I guess, you know, there's a lot of Christians all over the planet that are struggling big time. We all stumble in many ways, James says, mm. um, but we don't lose our citizenship and mm. we don't lose being in the family. We don't lose our identity. Uh, and that's really important because otherwise we're, we're saying agape, 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 love. And then five minutes later, we're saying, but yeah, he'll abandon us. Yes. And we don't even see that that's incompatible. 
If we're the ones shouting agape, unconditional love, then we need to really make sure that what we're believing is consistent with that and a truly unconditional love. I get that. Love talking this level of uh, applied theology uh, yeah. that we're looking at. But I was also interested when I was reading up about you that you acquired your graduate studies, your advanced degrees in applied linguistics. Yes. Andrew, yes. Tell, tell us a bit about what is applied linguistics. Okay. So you end up being an expert in that field. Yeah. So I, I went and lived in Spain uh, during uh, first year of university. Also the summer before that I lived in Barcelona. So I spent a lot of time in Spain as a teenager. And so then a typical teenager goes to college, goes to university and says, Hey, what am I going to major in? And I guess, well, let me major in Spanish because I already learned it this summer. Uh, so it'll be easy. So I get in there and I take the placement test. And sure enough, I place out of all the language classes and they throw me in the literature classes. And I'm reading books this thick in Spanish and I can't stand it. Like I'm reading Don Quixote in, in, in Spanish and, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages and looking words up in the dictionary and having a hard time. So then my senior year, I'm going, what am I going to do with this major in Spanish? And uh, the professor says, well, you could either work for the FBI uh, in a van, you know, with the headphones <laughs> on, lis listening to dialects of Spanish, or you can teach Spanish. And I said, well, if I teach, then uh, what do I need to do next? And he says, well, you need to get a, a master's and a PhD. So I start looking around and linguistics was different. It was a different animal than, than literature. Uh, it's the study of language and how it evolves and how people learn language and how language changes over time and um, what are the best ways to teach. And so there's a lot in applied linguistics, but I ended up doing a, a, a master's in Georgia and then a PhD in Illinois. And uh, the rest is history. I guess you could say that 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 last year of the PhD, I go to my professors and I'm like, what am I going to do now with a PhD? And they said, well, again, you can work for the FBI <laughs> or you can be a professor. So I, I decided to go to Notre Dame. That's where I got an offer. And I was there for five years to start my academic career. And uh, so, you know, it was always something fun to do and it was a way to make a living. But the whole time I had this passion in my heart to do what I'm doing now. So I really feel like my life is a dream come true, to be honest. So I was interested to ask you because I was the, the move from the world of academics and professorship yeah. into lead pastoring and authoring and, and being a full-time ministry. Yeah. Tell us about how that transition happened for you. Yeah. So I started doing radio um, on the side, even when I was working with Notre Dame, I was doing radio on the side and um, I had a, a program that came on once a week and it was, transmitted over shortwave to South America and Africa and a few different places. And um, I did that for a while. Then I started teaching Bible studies in our church. And uh, then I started traveling a few times a year to do conferences. Mm. And I was sharing the grace of God and meanwhile, earning a living as a professor. Mm. And then five years later, there was a church in Texas, a very small church at the time they'd lost their pastor and they had about 40 people in the congregation at that time. 
And I had done a conference for them. And a few years later, they call me and they say, would you consider uh, being our pastor? And I said, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe I said, I really enjoyed my visit. Let me come down there and spend a few months with you and we'll see where it goes. And by the end of those few months, I just knew like, I love these people and I don't want to leave here. And my wife felt the same. We both felt like this is where we need to be. And so I resigned from Notre Dame, a top 20 school in the nation. I was just getting ready to get tenure. I had, you know, 10 articles and a book, and there was no question that I was going to have job security for life. And I resigned and went and took a church of 40 people. And that was 15 years ago. And, uh, man, it's been awesome. It's been amazing. Was it scary at the time or were you so filled with sense of direction and purpose? Well, financially, yeah, financially it was scary because, you know, with, with 40 people, which is five or six families, I mean, uh, that could, um, go away. It could vanish in in three weeks if people decided to stop attending. So it was, it was a risk financially. And that was the scary part, but we had too much driving us on the inside. I mean, there was just this heartfelt desire to be there. And it was uh, without a doubt um, the right decision because I mean, looking back now, I mean, our church is, I don't know, we have 400 people in the building and we have a million Facebook followers and, and we have, uh, people about a hundred thousand people watching a, a single message each week. That's awesome. And and it's all through technology. I mean, there's about forty countries that tune in, and we have small groups all over the world. So Incredible. it's incredible. It's been crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, God certainly favored or honored your stepping out in faith in that regard. Yes. And showed yes. up, right? <laughs> he showed up absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Andrew, when I was reading about the fact that you had this area of, of linguistic studies, I wanted to ask you some, some questions along that, in that area of, of thinking. Yeah. Okay. Okay sure. for me to sort of sure. that a little? Yeah. I think language is an extraordinary gift that, that we receive. And the Bible has a lot to say about the words that we use and the, the, way, yes. the way it reveals the inner workings of our, of our hearts. Having immersed yourself in a, a language you didn't know that wasn't your native language and mm-hmm. studied how how we use it how it shapes culture how it is holds holds thoughts has it changed the way you understand the language of god the, the language of scripture the person of jesus and his message yeah uh, you know to be honest with you, I think the most glaring example of that is what I would call modern day Christianese and jargon mm. and how that is different from uh, the language of the Bible. Um, mm. You know, let me give you an example. Um, you know, like people talk about getting closer to God and mm. I understand what they mean when they say that it's a it's a common everyday expression. Maybe they want to feel closer to God. Maybe they imagine themselves, I don't know, spiritually sort of inching closer to him as they, as they do certain things or whatever. But you look at the Bible and it doesn't talk about us getting closer and closer. It actually says that we've been brought near and that we're one spirit with the Lord. And it says things like we can have boldness and confidence with him and 
Uh, you know, being one spirit with the Lord, that's about as close as you can get, I would say. Yeah. And when the blood of Jesus makes you close, then how close are you? Yes. Well, you'd have to con- you'd have to conclude that you're perfectly close. So, again, I think we're back to that thing of yes, we're learning and growing, but we're close the whole time. And you know, that's one example of, of jargon. The other example I can think of is like uh, the idea of fellowship. Um, fellowship is talked about in Christian circles sometimes. Uh, like you're going in and out and in and out of fellowship with God. Mm. Um, and yet when you do a word study in the New Testament of fellowship, it's never used that way. You're either in fellowship as a Christian or you're out of fellowship as an unbeliever, mm. but you're not going in and out. You're not in on Monday and out on Tuesday and in mm. on Wednesday. And it's amazing that there's so many examples. I mean, if I had enough time, I could think of 10 or 15 of these easily where we are adopting our own language to talk about God instead of getting to know God in his language and the words he chose Mm. uh, to express his love toward us. That's that's so good. And what I think I'm hearing in you make that distinction is that it actually matters, that the, the words that we choose convey meaning that can can affect the, our understanding or our conception oh yeah yeah i mean i'm seeing the light bulb go on for people like crazy when they have a simple revelation of how an old thought was keeping them in bondage and an old thought they had pictured themselves dirty and distant from god and then they learn that they're clean and close because of jesus and for them to see that the light bulb goes on, they they realize, oh, this is how I'm supposed to be excited mm. about Christianity. I mean, for them, the Christianity was a headache. It was, I got to go to church. I got to read the Bible. I got to live good. I got to live right. God's always frustrated. God's always disappointed. I never do enough. There's three steps to this and five steps to that. Mm. And do more, be more, love more, do more, be more, love more. And they kept hearing these uh, sort of messages and eventually they feel rejected. I mean, we don't even realize we're doing it, but if, if I had a friendship with you and I kept talking about what you should be uh, and I kept talking about some future version of you that I love, I love some future version of you that you should be. Well then in the present tense, you feel rejected. Yes. And I think that that's happening subtly um, in so many ways without us realizing it. Yes. And, and I, I get what you're saying about the, the language patterns that reinforce that. And uh, yes. I've got a, a, some, uh, my own, some of my own reading has exemplified how we think in words and the words capture the way in which we conceive of reality and of, of relationship. And, and I hear what you're saying in this. Uh, it's yes. so vital we get the right words to describe our relationship with Jesus. Yes. Absolutely. Not deceiving ourselves to use a biblical expression. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, um, you know, let me give you one more example, which I think is maybe the best example because um, I've seen it be so pervasive here, at least in the United States. All right. So there's an, uh, there's a term sinful nature Mm. and 
the term sinful nature actually is not just jargon. It appeared in the uh, NIV Bible, the New International Version of the Bible that was uh, put out in 1984. And then uh, I think it was reissued in a newer version in 2010. And uh, the term sinful nature, uh, it, it was in the most popular Bible in our country besides the King James. And um, then you do a little digging and you discover, wait a minute, the original word in Greek there is sarx, S-A-R-X, and it's best translated as flesh, which we've already talked about. You mm -hmm. and I were talking about good flesh, bad flesh, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. That flesh is attitudes or perspectives or worldly thinking. Uh, you can walk according to the flesh. You can set your mind on the flesh. Uh, you can try to get identity through the flesh. You know, Paul was doing that, born on a certain day of a certain tribe. But that's not a Christian's nature. And I think that uh, what happened is, is the NIV committee decided, let's try to make this term more understandable and so they put in the term sinful nature. Well, you know, three decades later, they actually pulled it out and changed their mind and removed it. Uh, but in the process, we had 30 years of Christians saying, well, I'm a new creation, but I've got a sinful nature, but I've got a new nature, but I've got mm. a sinful nature. And they essentially thought of themselves as a house divided, mm. uh, the good me and the bad me. Mm. And, you know, G Jesus says the house divided cannot stand. Mm. So, so let me let me bring this home for us and just say, all right, here's here's why this is important. Look, it's not half of me uh, fighting the other half of me. Mm. Uh, I I'm the new creation, but I've got flesh patterns mm. in my thinking and my attitudes. Mm. Like you know, right now we're on computers. Let's say I, I just bought this computer. It's a, a MacBook, and I bring it home and it's beautiful, it's silver, it's shiny, it's new. And that's what hardware is. But I'm on this computer for like five minutes and it says I need a software update. Mm -hmm. Well, software is different than hardware. And so that's what I'm saying. You know, we are new creations. We've got the new hardware. Mm -hmm. I'm saying hardware, like our new heart. We've got a new hardware, but we're still getting software updates um, and that's what the flesh is. Amen. And so I, I think that if a Christian could understand, I'm not two people, I'm not a split personality spiritually, I'm not supposed to live this dichotomy, I'm not a house divided, mm. I'm one person with one new heart, but I'm still getting my mind renewed, yeah. then I think it would really help how we view ourselves and we would understand better, hey, how can I be so close to God and yet still struggle with the thoughts. Well, yeah. your heart is good, but your yeah. mind is being renewed. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Andrew, yeah. that's fantastic. Really, really appreciate you unpacking that. Maybe yeah. where we might land this conversation, which has been rich uh, from my perspective, is to head to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Awesome. Which I think might be a special verse for you. Yes, it is. I, I've been crucified with Christ uh, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live now by faith, I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And I, I love that verse um, because, you know, the first eye is the old me. I no longer live. That old me no longer lives. I've been crucified with Christ. And then it says Christ lives in me. 
But notice I don't disappear. I'm not gone. Yeah. Uh, it says the life I now live. So I'm in this. Jesus invited me into the new life and I get united with him and I get to trust him and depend on him and he lives in me. So that's one of the most beautiful uh, verses of all. I think I absolutely love it. So thanks for bringing that up. I, I, I love it too. So and I've loved this time with you, Andrew. It's been fantastic to hear about what your ministry is and and to hear your story, how, how God has led you, how he, uh, by grace, saved a good Christian boy yeah. to uh, understand the, the magnitude of what his purpose is in your life. I'm so glad that he is working that out. And please know we'll be, we'll be praying that he continues to do that. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you, my friend.